I'm not here to poke holes in suspended disbelief. Anyway, they see some weird shit. They decide to make a baby. Thou merkin merchant. Who gives a fuck? Oh my god, we're just gonna start calling you Damien Yeltsin's billboards. Well, you know, uh, I really like it here. Uh, it's kind of nice, and uh, it's not as cold as back home, and the soil is a lot better. So yeah, sure, I think we're gonna settle. If I'm a peasant boy who grabs a sword out of a stone, yeah, I'm able to open people up. You will, yeah. Anytime I hit them with it, right? Yeah. So my cleave landing will make me a cavalier. Good day, sir. If Siskel thought it was empty-headed plebeian trash, he was probably <laughs> really good at groove on it. <laughs> because cannibalism and murder. Pull back just a little bit and build walls to keep out the redheads. Authorial intent doesn't exist. Some people stand up and wipe their butts. Some people stay seated and wipe their butts. Like, it just... as a uh, world history and English teacher here in Northern California and am looking to find uh, a job closer to home. If you, you know, know anybody in the greater Sacramento area and, and not too much greater, by the way, but, you know, anyway, if you know anybody looking for anybody with my particular skill set, please do uh, let us know uh, here at the show. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I don't have a whole lot to report other than that. Who are you and how are things going? Well, I'm Damien Harmony. I am a, uh, local Northern California, uh, high school Latin teacher. Uh, I'm not looking for more employment, but, uh, amongst our, our, uh, trove of listeners, if any of you are local administrators looking to hire a very creative and imaginative, uh, slightly stodgy, uh, history teacher, I why, think my partner why? here. Why, well, why, why you got to go with stodgy? Because like, really? it's true. I don't know what you're talking about. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah, well, Thank yeah. you for proving it. Uh, yeah. So, um, oh, that's like my favorite thing on, on the internet right now is people are like, you're proving my point for me. It's like, no, I'm not. You just have no imagination. Uh, but no, I'm up here uh, having no imagination and uh, enjoying uh, what I can of my days. Uh, they're pretty good that days works. to enjoy. And so, I'm, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm really looking forward, honestly to taking the night off from teaching somebody else a thing. I can understand that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I would, um, you know, it's funny. I was thinking about the, the last episodes that we did, and I almost feel like I didn't quite hammer home enough yeah. the fact that it was all postmodernism all the time in that you had this small underpowered thing taking hold of objective power even though power was subjective yeah and changing the whole thing in politics that being newt gingrich yeah and then you also had that paralleled in wrestling that being ecw and the idea that your good guys are now assholes yeah is an acceptance of the fact that you're not going to win otherwise and so all of these traditions and all of these, what's the word I'm looking for? Conventions uh-huh. are being broken. And here's the part that I think I really missed and kind of flubbed last time. Okay. When you do that, 
you have a knock-on effect that you couldn't have possibly predicted, and it leads to some really ugly places. Even though the conventions are there holding people down, even though the conventions are there as a tool of, I'm going to say, oppression, uh, for lack of a better word right now. Okay. Um, a, uh, a tool of authority? Yes. Uh, and, and you know, they're, they're a bureaucracy. At least you can point to them, and everybody's going to play by those rules. But the second that somebody doesn't play by those rules... Um, it all goes out the window, and it starts to be... Or over the top rope, as the case may be. Uh, yes, uh, yeah. or off the balcony um, into <laughs> a series of chairs. God almighty, yeah. <laughs> but I think what happens with that is that you you end up having the authoritarianism creep in instead of authority. Yeah. And I think... And, okay. and that's why the referees were no longer necessary in most of the matches, because the authority... Inept as it was, and that's the whole referee's job, is to be inept and to give you one more uh, obstacle for the, the face to get over. Yeah. Uh, the the ineptitude of the referees is no longer an issue because it's whoever has the stop sign. Or the kayak. Or the kayak, you know? And, and there's a huge problem with that because really all that is is a, a drift toward whoever holds the truncheon, whoever holds the fasces... <laughs> is in charge yeah and might makes right and it doesn't matter what these conventions it doesn't matter what your conventions are <laughs> but like you know the fact that i'm a dick doesn't matter the fact that i have the power and i know you're relying on this old system but fuck you i have the power that well it's i mean it all it all comes back to the erosion mm-hmm. of uh essentially democratic institutions yes like like when you're talking about the the intense mm-hmm. so meta meta doesn't even describe it anymore it's it's like right we, we took we took the meta and now we're getting meta with that yes oh yeah uh when when you on on the one hand as an intellectual exercise mm-hmm. that can be uh, very liberating it can it can you know open imaginative vistas it can there's all kinds of stuff that can be done mm-hmm. when you choose to deconstruct because yeah. it is deconstructionist it like, is like it is it is immensely deconstructionist. yes yes the problem is if you deconstruct without having a framework in place yeah like, like, yeah like without, you're right you're right without knowing okay look I'm going to deconstruct this thing mm-hmm. in order to point out to you, the viewer, it's this this thing, this this lesson I'm trying to teach you, this this theme I'm trying to get over. Yeah. If it's just no, no, we're gonna rip this shit apart. Yeah, it's taking apart the stereo and not mapping out where stuff goes, and just putting it into a, a thermos, shaking it up, and then dumping it out. Yeah, and then. Like and then walking out of the room and, and wondering and <laughs> yeah. wondering why you can't listen to Dire Straits anymore. Right. Like, you know, yes. what, what the fuck? Yes. And you so know. I think wrestling 100% followed that trajectory, uh, as did politics, because society was 100% going that way. And I think that in a world where that happens, um, you have a drift toward authoritarianism because the only thing that can fill that vacuum is a pack leader. Well, yeah, because and might makes right. Yeah, because when you've when you've done away with all of the institutions that make democracy work, mm-hmm. you can't expect democracy to work anymore. Like, like yes. that's that's what it comes down to. Yeah, and and so you know, if, if that, I, I think that's why we need to be very aware. Mm-hmm. Anytime we hear 
anybody as a as a pedagogue mm-hmm. um, decrying the systems that are that are maintaining democracy. You know, if 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 somebody is decrying the courts, not <laughs> not we have problems within the system. Right. You, you mean know, demagogue, to, right? I mean demagogue. Okay, you what said pedagogue. Pedagogue. Yeah, okay. I, frankly, yes, teachers yes, too. Yes, teachers too. Because most of yeah. the, the authoritarians started yeah. off as teachers. Yeah, but, <laughs> a lot of them, yeah. yeah. So, but no, I meant demagogue. Okay. Apologies. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the demogorgon. Um, <laughs> so, so the D&D players and the Stranger Things viewers yes. will, will catch that reference. Have a Steve Rogers moment. But... Um, <laughs> So, so we need to pay really close attention. And I think this is the reason that you and I, mm-hmm. as historians, both went, whoa, 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 hold up. Yeah. Whoa, back, whoa, back up. The moment the Trump campaign got started. Well, the moment yes. the Trump campaign got started, because then it wasn't just uh, uh, covert not not in the sense of hidden but in the sense of not noticed it, right. it wasn't just, it wasn't latent anymore yes it yes. was it was blatant yes um that that he was g- really genuinely attacking the institution the press mm-hmm. directly mm-hmm. which which isn't an arm of the state but it is it is the fifth a, estate is, for a reason it is yes it is it is the mechanism by which we as citizens yes know what the fuck our government is doing yes so attacking that institution attacking the court system mm-hmm. working to subvert and then dominate the courts perverting the legislative system yeah and 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 all of that mm-hmm um, I mean, just th- the moment he started talking about those things mm-hmm. the way he did, I know both of us were like, I'm ah, well, I've seen this. Well, yeah, this rhymes. Yep. You know, and, you know, well, you know, you shouldn't bandy about the word Nazi. Okay, look, when he's cribbing Mein Kampf. Yeah. Like, what? Yeah. What do you What do you expect? What like, What do you want me to now, do? Now is like, the time like, to Like, what comparison it. am I supposed to make there? Right. Like. And, yeah. and I will I will know. go one step further, uh, and you're gonna love the twist around that this becomes. Okay. Talk about the swerve. Yeah. What I have just done has been to make an argument for conservatism. Yeah. <laughs> well, okay. Uh, you know, I, but I, I have, think... and but it's 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 I'm it's conservatism, the actual philosophy, yeah. the lookout for guys like Robespierre, conservatism. Yes. It's not. It's not Barry it's Goldwater. Not, it's not reactionism. No, it's, it's not, not. It's not yeah. American conservatism, right? Which isn't actually conservative. It's Edmund Burke conservatism. Yes, you know, it's, yes. it's that. And I don't like that I've come, <laughs> I've come to this, but I do recognize that you do need a saucer to cool a cup because the the swing happens because uh, somebody co-ops populism i don't think populism was a problem but somebody co-ops populism and attacks the institutions and and conservatives want to keep the institutions in place real conservatives yes genuine Uh, conservative conservatives yes they want to keep the institutions in place because they know what that wobble does to social order yeah and i think that's very valuable so i'm arguing in favor of count outs disqualifications having a ref who has some authority in the ring and not really spending too much time outside of the ring. Yeah. Bret Hart. 
Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm, there you I'm go. in yes. favor of, of, Bret of that. Hart. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, and as much as I love Mick Foley and as wonderful as I think he is, I think he was a part of the thing that enabled um, the corrosion of the, of, of the institutions within wrestling. Within wrestling. Yeah. No, that makes perfect sense. And then you can, we can go back if, if you want. Uh, the the same thing could be said about politics. Although I I have no love whatsoever. There's for nobody Gingrich. involved in that process that you yeah know, that you would you so, would say. But anyway, you know, well, so, you know, I love him, but yeah, yeah no, that doesn't. But happen. but yes, what you're talking about with deconstructionism. Um, when you deconstruct something, and there are things, here's the liberal, okay? Yeah. And, and the classic, like, the leftist, quite honestly, not yeah. the liberal. Yeah, no. Um, maybe I made an argument for liberalism. We'll pretend. I think... It's I, conservatism. I would, it is. I, we, I made it, an argument really, for yeah, it is. Yeah. yeah. But yeah. The, the leftist in me will say there are institutions that absolutely need deconstruction and destruction, and it's okay to have that chaos because it leads to freedom. Yeah. And that's why it's okay to have matches that are strap matches. That's why it's okay to have battle royales. That's why it's okay to have uh, the occasional uh, Texas Tornado three-way match. That's yeah. why it's okay to have gimmick matches I'm cool with. But here's the thing. But it's still within the... To, to refer yeah. to, refer to mm-hmm. going back, I don't have, remember how many episodes in that series, it is uh, scripted... Yep. chaos where everybody knows oh, man. what the conventions are going to be so See, that I'm is liberalism student. that is liberalism. See, i know yep. i know i know yep. what i'm doing here yeah so yeah no i think i think you you make a compelling argument yeah. i i as the token conservative, conservative of yeah. the two of us um i i think it's it's important for us to understand that we need to preserve those institutions which are safeguarding yes the the common wheel those those that mm-hmm. are doing their job that are that are that are acting as a break on um and and social order is part of it but those mm-hmm. that are that are acting as a break on you know uh uh demagoguery yes are are ones that that we need to be very careful about safeguarding we also, and this is where I'm, I don't know if this is conservative, liberal, or what this is, but but I will agree with you that when we find, like, in our court system as mm-hmm. it is, we know that cash bail is fucked up. Yes. We, we know Good that one. that, that institution within our legal system mm-hmm. is, has become a tool of oppression. It is not working toward the common wheel. Right. And so as a conservative, we need to, that needs to be changed. Yeah. Like we need yeah. to take that and like figure out some other way to accomplish that task. Yes. And we need to have, and this is where I'm, I'm going to go back to being a conservative again. We need to have a plan Right, yeah, for, something to for, replace. We need to have something yeah. to replace. We can't just walk in with a hammer and go, okay, no, it's fucked up, smash, and now wait for, you know, the chaos to bring us something new. Right. Which I, you know, for for some folks of a particularly revolutionary bent, well, you know, that chaos is better than what we have now. Sometimes yeah. there can be an argument for that, but when yes. you're talking about a system that is fucked up and that has been part of something as systematically bad mm-hmm. as what has happened with our legal system 
for the last 400 years, mm -hmm. then I think, you, no, you need to have a better plan because we've already shown that, no, 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 we have the capacity to make this a lot worse. Like, yeah, yeah. You know, um, and so smashing shit for the sake of smashing shit mm -hmm. is, in my opinion, not a good idea. Like right. I can, I can make it, I can comfortably feel mm -hmm. good about making an argument that, that deconstructing shit Socially speaking, sure. just for the sake of deconstructing shit, is not not okay. So you're helpful. you're making I would say you're making a conservative's version of the argument in uh, letters from a Birmingham jail. Okay, yeah. You don't simply object to something because it's inconvenient. You don't simply smash shit because you want to. If you're going to smash shit, it had better be toward a good. Yeah. And if you're going to uh, oppose stuff, as King would say from that letter, yeah. Um. It needs to be, you have to be grounded in a moral uh, reasoning. Yes. Um, so, yeah, I think I can, uh, well, I mean, there are plenty of conservatives that march with King. Like, yeah, oh, yeah. Um, so, uh, but there are also way more who didn't because they well, saw that change as being a threat to the system. Yeah, well, you know, and the thing is, and, yeah. and, and, you know, the thing is, any being extreme on either end of the spectrum means... Mm -hmm. You're going to be getting in the way of of the common good. Yes. And 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 I'm not saying that as a, as I'm not saying that as an argument <laughs> for cringe. the tepid. Yeah, yeah. I'm not saying that as an argument for the tepid middle. Right. You know. Nobody it's, wants it's, to it's see critically... a match with with uh, Brad Armstrong in it. You just don't. Yeah, no, you just, no, yeah. No. Fuck that. So you know, I I genuinely the thing is, I I actually was I don't remember it, it, in the midst of an internet argument that we were mm -hmm. both involved in earlier today um i actually wound up kind of coming to the to the conclusion that no you know what um false moderation yes is is a worse ill than extreme certainly extremism on mm -hmm. on the left probably yep. even extremism on the right false moderation false moderation doesn't commit genocide it only allows well it. but okay it enables it All yeah right, fine I'm going to say, I, but, I'm going to say but, committing it is worse than enabling. Yeah, okay. Fair. But yes, I take your yeah. point and you're still right along with letters from a Birmingham yeah. jail. And, and well, yeah. And, and the thing is, you know, um, in, in the circles that we both kind of run around in sure. on social media, everybody wants to, wants to, you know, tank on, on moderates, like mm -hmm. just, just shit on moderates left, right, and center. And I understand why, because so many moderates are false moderates. They're moderates so for much the of moderate. sake of of keeping the pee like don't yeah. scare the horses. Yeah, and it's like, yeah. Well, well, you know, you I'm going to scare the horse because this guy is literally hanging to his death. Yeah, like, so yeah, I'm going to scare the horse. I think we need to scare the horse. Yeah, and and the thing is, I am, as a matter of fact, a a moderate. Mm -hmm. Like I, my economically, <laughs> I'm I'm a distributist. Which mm -hmm. I've I've talked about a little bit before, but yes. like it's a it's a it's a third way solution to the problems that are endemic in in late stage capitalism and and you know industrial society, mm -hmm. and and what it basically amounts to to way oversimplify it is, um, you you want to have a market where people can can act as their own agent in the market. Mm -hmm. But you need to make sure that those individuals are protected within that market. And you need to make sure that the individual 
has the economic power mm-hmm. within that to exert their freedom within the market. So sounds so, like you're a unionist. Well, yeah, yeah. Unions are a central cornerstone of yeah. distributist ideology. Uh, the, the, one of the one of the phrases from distributism is the the worker needs to own their tools. I like it. You know, you you need to have ownership of the means to make your living. Mm-hmm. So if you work in a corporate setting, for example, distributists mm-hmm. uh, advocate very strongly for employee ownership of corporations. Uh huh. You know. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. And and that's and which that's is a thing. co-op. Basically. Yeah. Essentially. Yeah. yeah. Um. It's so so yeah. I'm I'm a moderate, but the thing is, I like that a co-op is moderation. I like yeah. I like that a co-op is moderate. Yeah. Because you know? well, because it's not okay. The state is just going to take ownership of everything, and, right? And you know, seize all private property, and you know, you you have ownership of private property, right? Like you know, everybody who wants to call people leftists in our country, they don't understand what real leftism actually is. Mm-hmm. Leftism is no, no. The government, the, the people, are going to seize the means of production, and it'll be you know centralized and and you know i mean well, who they're, are they they're seizing different... it? so who are they seizing it from yeah and and how much um what am I, how much say do the the people actually have yeah and if the people have a tremendous amount of say and you are seizing it from the billionaire class play on well yeah but yes, yes, but, yes, yes. but what i'm, I'm saying that's mm-hmm. that's that's what leftism is i'm, I'm not yeah, saying yeah, yeah. i'm not okay, saying I yes you. no I, right. I support this i don't don't support this okay i'm saying just, Real genuine leftism would yeah. be no, no, you don't own this anymore, and no, we're not going to pay you for it. No, no, fuck off. Right, right. And and on the other extreme is economically is you know total laissez faire. Hong Kong was you know the ideal economic experiment. Right. You know you don't work, you don't eat. That's just the way it is. You know. Right. Yeah. With with all of even the though toxic, we have all the food. Yeah. With, with all with yeah. all the toxic ableist, racist, colonialist everything yes. is bullshit that goes with that. So distributism is is a solution in the middle of those mm-hmm. so it's a moderate solution the thing is it has a moral fucking center and if you want to claim you're a moderate as a way to shut other people up when they're making a moral argument about their fucking identity and their right to be people functioning in society then you're not a fucking moderate that there's your false moderation yeah no matter no matter how much you want to try to dress yourself up as being well you know I just, I just think everybody's, you know, it's, I don't, I don't want to go too far on either side. No, this right. is not an issue you can go too far this way on. Yeah, no, I agree with you. Like it, the moderate, uh, when it comes to genocide is like, well, can you, can you just kill 3 million? Yeah. And it's like, no, no. <laughs> so and, yeah, no, and, I, I get you. Know, you. Okay. And, and like, you know, in, in the argument that we, that we got into with this person mm-hmm. today, um, having, having this individual, um, making making a statement that I compared to a mirror image of the Jedi Council. That was well, fun. you know, we'll give you we'll give you the title of woman, but we won't let you in this space. <laughs> yeah, like yeah. no, fuck you. Either right. trans women are women or they're not. Right. And and if you're trying to say, well, you know, I totally support them identifying as women. I totally da da da. But you know, all the. Which is kind of a bullshit. weird laissez-faire yeah, libertarian. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Quoting and then quoting a 2015 study that's been disproven or thrown seriously into question at the very least. Yeah. About you know 
uh, trans women in, in sports and being like, well, you know, but they shouldn't be able to compete here. Right. Like, no, no, you don't get to do this on a case by case basis when we're talking about identity. Right. Either they're women, which by the way, they fucking are. Yes. Or they're not. Anything you say that says, well, you know, they're women, but not well, like as this. As soon as you, I, I heard this quote today. Uh, the second that anybody says, but everything they said before that is a lie. Yeah. Yes. You know, or is, is them yeah. them lying? Yeah, which is true. Yeah. So, so, so yes. Uh, as far as professional wrestling goes, um, you don't simply deconstruct it and and enjoy the chaos because if you do, you end up with just kind of garbage, in and out of a ring, in and to the point where it lost the audience's interest eventually. Yeah. Like uh, it started to tank, even though it won the Monday Night Wars for Vince McMahon. Um, this this canned version of ECW and shifting toward that, it it ultimately uh, and it killed the competition. It ultimately uh, didn't serve the audiences very well because not because competition was necessary. That wasn't the problem. Uh, I, I will say they lined up on different brands. Don't get me wrong. Um, it was more that the quality of the wrestling actually went down. And now transpose that over to. Uh, politics and being a dick okay well just because the guy in my the party that i prefer just because the guy who is protecting people's rights is is protecting people's rights but he's also being a dick you are going down a very dangerous road i would point out that obama used more drones than george bush not because he wanted to kill more brown people but because the technology was available to him throughout his entire presidency as opposed to halfway through halfway through yeah uh you know and and bush had a couple years where he wasn't bombing brown people yet um i would also point out that obama used facebook and twitter and and used all the flaws inherent therein and when uh trump did it everybody noticed that it was happening and they were like well we can't clamp that down because obama but after this election after trump loses to hillary then we're going to fix it all. Yeah. And that's the problem with uh, utilizing a kayak in the first match. Yeah. Well, because where do you go from there? You go you, you, you up, can't up go three tables. Yeah. And then, you know. Well, yes. you know, and, and, and what, what you wind up, what you wind up having in a, in a teacherly manner mm -hmm. is uh, we oh, had, yeah. we had, we had a, we had a new teacher, first year teacher a couple of years ago at my mm -hmm. site um, who very, very smart guy. Uh, fresh out of teacher school, you know, uh, knew his stuff backward and forward. Of course. Um, and then he got into our classroom. Uh, he was a science teacher. Mm -hmm. And um, he had his first really serious set of classroom management challenges. Uh. He had gone through his student teaching in a very tony, mm -hmm. very upscale uh, uh, neighborhood at a school with kids who don't present the kind of challenges that kids at my site do more frequently because right. we have kids who have much more significant issues. They're dealing with trauma at home. Yeah. They got, I mean, like all kinds of stuff. Institutional, uh, you've got uh, generational, you've got all kinds uh, of stuff that 100% get in the way of kids learning. Yeah. And, yeah. and turn them into little fucking dicks. Yeah. You know, because yeah. they're also middle schoolers. Yeah, which so. never helps. No. So so he got into our classroom mm -hmm. and um, had 
a series of first relatively minor by, by mm-hmm. standards of anybody more experienced right. relatively minor class class management issues um <laughs> and then i don't know why my phone woke up because there, but of there a go. word that you said about oh, a set of okay. things yeah. yeah okay so anyway he he had you know a, a number of relatively minor challenges that he was not prepared for oh uh, yeah yeah and so the issue wound up becoming after a while his relationship with his students was one where he would go to the nine. nuclear option yeah he'd go to nine on a Immediate, scale of up yeah. to ten he'd go to nine immediately yep and what we kept trying to tell him was okay no look you need <laughs> some to middle back off yeah you because because if you're starting at nine yes you don't have anywhere to go right yeah you know and i'm not i don't want to tell anybody like you know you need to change your personality in order to do this job because no you need to you need to you need to figure out what your way of doing this is but also don't let this job change your personality yeah don't let this job turn you into that guy Mm -hmm. and you know um and and so it's the same thing. If yeah. you start at Zany Bonkers, what the fuck? Right. You have nowhere to go. To in the a, point in, in where, a performance yeah. in a performance art, like yes. you know, sparkly murder gymnastics. Yes. Uh, you, you that that cuts you off. Eventually, there's a ceiling. You can't. Yep. You know, unless unless you're going to spend the money to have Vince McMahon bring in a helicopter to drop you through the arena skylight into the middle of the ring. Which Fun, funny you say that. Yeah. WCW did that with yeah. a guy who uh, you're going to be talking about tonight. Actually, really, yeah, Sting. Nice, thank you. Nice. Only I'm not actually going to be talking about uh, Sting. Oh, okay. Uh, well, I kind of he'll probably get mentioned at okay. some point in our conversation, but it's not the focus. Okay. So. Uh, yeah, no, if, if you, if you blow the roof off of everything right out the gate, artistically, you're left with nowhere to go. Right. Politically and sociologically, you're left without a building to do things in. Mm-hmm. And that, and that's actually even worse. Yes. Because then the whole, you, you have, you have eroded the entire structure that allows the social contract. And that's the kicker. To yes. happen. And if you get rid of the social contract, you don't, again, you've lost your audience. Yeah. <laughs> and it becomes authoritarianism and just competing authoritarian efforts, regardless of ideology. Yeah. Uh, and it, it de- de- degenerates into tribalism. Yes. Um, which is pretty much what, what happened. Like, nobody cared how the match was going for John Cena. It was, let's go Cena, Cena sucks. Let's go, Cena. Cena, Cena sucks. sucks. Yeah, and and you had different voices competing with that during the match, regardless of the things that were happening in the ring. It started to be about the audience, not the match. Yeah. Um, and I think that is, uh, you know, it, it's more about victory is the greatest morality, not um, not, not morality. Well, and not policy. Yeah. You know, and and so yes. So anyway, so like I said, short yeah. short version. Uh, that's that's basically what happened. Okay. So yeah. Yeah. No, I appreciate that. <laughs> and I'm and I'm I, yeah. I mean I, you know we're looking at the clock right now and kind of oh well shit there's like, half half a session. half an episode but so, Ed, but what I, have think, you I think I uh, think that you know? I think, 
Well, but I, I think I think it's yeah. important to come back and make that point because I agree. I yeah, I, I think I think at the end of all that analysis, I think I think that's it's good to, you know, check for understanding mm-hmm. at the end like yes. that to to uh, use a teaching yeah. buzz yeah. phrase. So now on to new business. Ah, yes. As it were. Let's move the agenda. Yeah. Um, So I have been talking for several episodes now, and I've told everybody, go out, read the book, read the book, do your homework, read the book. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, So tonight, we're actually, I'm going to do it. We're going to talk about Dune. And and to preface this conversation, uh, first thing I want to ask you, I know, because you've said it before, that you have not read the book. I have not read the book. Okay. Um, and for the purposes of those in our audience who are f- who are already familiar with Dune and are like, you're finally getting to it, um, I just want to make clear... To tune in next week. Thank you very much for a geek history oh, time. Oh, you're a dick. <laughs> Speaking of being an asshole. No. No. Um, I'm only going... We're going we're gonna to be spending several episodes, even, even if we had not spent half an hour putting a coda on, on yeah, the last yeah. series. I'm going to be spending several episodes just talking about the novel Dune. Okay. 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 Um, now for those, for those in our audience who are fans, and I'm going to explain this to you now that, because they already know this. Um, there is a series of novels starting with Dune. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Herbert wrote Dune Messiah, Children of Dune, Chapter God Emperor of Dune and Chapter House Dune. So there's this okay. this lot of Dune series stuff. of okay. series of books, and um, the series gets esoteric and deeply philosophical, and he goes off in about nineteen different directions. Does he lose himself in it? Like, is it is it? Did he have a plan? And this was like you know I you know uh, uh, I'm thinking Tolkien. He yeah. knew what he was doing the whole. Oh way. yeah, no. Tol- Tolkien. Tolkien was clearly an outliner. Right. Like, he did knew Did Herbert kinda... just kind of the characters took him where he wanted them? <sighs> Herbert knew what it is he wanted to say. Did he suffer and from he not wanted having to an say, Um, I think I don't. I I wouldn't say he suffered. Okay. From not having an editor. Um, I think the things he wanted to say necessitated an awful lot of building out. Okay. He took some kernels of some ideas and ran in a very, I'm going to say sixties counterculture kind of way out to some very, very significant kind of, kind of weird extreme kind of developments. Okay. Um, but, and, and so on, on in another episode, somewhere down the line i i can talk about the series as an aggregate mm-hmm. now so so herbert wrote this series of books and, and it, it's it's this touchstone within the genre it's this incredibly seminal work he won all kinds of awards for it sure um and and it's been massively influential i'm going to talk about that Good. later in this series but um he he died his son back in the 2000s Mm-hmm. Uh, got together with Kevin J. Anderson, a name I know you'll oh, recognize, yeah. being, okay. a, being a Star Wars universe mm-hmm. fan. Mm-hmm. Got together with Kevin J. Anderson, and they wrote a series of prequels. Okay. Uh, House Atreides, House Harkonnen, 
House Karina. I didn't read the third one. I got okay. through Atreides and Harkonnen and kind of stopped. But it was it was um, Mound House Atreides. Nice Mound House. house yeah. Yes, very very well okay. done. Yeah, and then and then after that, mm-hmm. they wrote another series of novels that were about an event within the universe's history called the Butlerian Jihad. Oh boy! That like they said, okay, well, all this stuff that Dad, you know, kind of hinted at and talked about. We're going to, no, no, we're just going to tell that story. And, and here, okay. here it is, and we're going to write it all down. Okay. And then, and I'm trying to remember the order in which they published these things, but they, they did that. And they also did a sequel trilogy to the Dune series mm-hmm. that involved the main characters of the original books being resur- kind of cloned and kind of resurrected. Kind of, okay. it's a weird... Ixian Tleiloxi technology is weird. Anyway. And it was called and, the Mountain Trilogy. Yeah, very well. Right. Yeah, good job. So, good job. Really or the, or the Sirocco did. Trilogy, Sandstorm Trilogy. Exactly. Yeah, they they made forward. a mountain out, out of, of... Yeah. So, um, and and the thing is, I'm going to be kind of unkind. Kevin J. Anderson is a good writer. Is he? Well, okay. <laughs> I, mean, I, I enjoy I, I, his stuff. Okay, I genuinely don't know if he is because I hated all his Star Wars stuff, and you oh, know me. Wow. Oh yeah, it, it's really garbage. Yeah, it, it was necessary reading the, because the that's young, all we the fucking young had. Jedi. Wow. Yeah. Well, I'm okay. giving it to my kids to read just because okay. again they should know the mythology. Okay. All right. But yeah, it's you're bringing it, them up in the faith. I am yes. absolutely. Okay. Uh, but uh, before the Great Schism. Yeah. Okay, yes. Uh, well, the yeah. Disney Schism. Yeah, the, yeah. the Great Disney. Dis- nice 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 um Good but uh but yeah it, he i i was massively disappointed by his books that he okay. wrote uh, even the anthologies that uh that he was a part of the, oh wow yeah the tales from i honestly they were weak now i don't know if that's because he's a weak writer or if that's simply because um there are some sandboxes some authors can play in and, and others there are that some they can't sandboxes. well here's what i'm gonna say yeah if you didn't like his star wars stuff don't mm-hmm. read his dune stuff either. okay because okay. it's very clearly Kevin J. Anderson's work. Okay. Um, and I do not generally uh, agree very often with uh, the writers of the Penny Arcade webcomic. Okay. Um, but one of the two of them mm-hmm. is is a huge Dune fan. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's an episode of the webcomic where you see his analog in the comic, his character in the comic, sitting in an overstuffed armchair in a clearly very Tony study. Sure. And he's, and he's got a mug of something in his hand. And he says, many of you have written to me to ask what I think about the prequel trilogy being written by Kevin J. Anderson and Brian Herbert. And uh, after long uh, consideration, um, my opinion of the series is, and in the last, in the, he's foaming at the mouth in the last, in the last frame of the comic, his eyes are red, <laughs> bugged out, and he's screaming, they are fucking his corpse! Do you understand me? They are fucking his corpse! It, it got to the point where it was really clearly, everybody loves this series, people are going to keep buying stuff that has this on the, on the cover, so we're going to keep writing these novels, and we know we have an audience, and right. we can make bank. Right. And it became a money-making exercise, so. Cool. Anyway, so, so but that, that's all the expanded universe stuff of it. The initial novel is what I'm going to be talking about. Okay. And... Later on, we can talk about the novel versus the movie mm-hmm. because that's kind of the the dynamic that got me thinking about doing this right. with you in the first place was when we talked about Starship Troopers. Yeah, yeah. But for now, 
Um, the, the focus here primarily is on the, the one book because it's, it's the entryway into this universe. Okay. It's, it, it is the cusp of all of these things happening in science fiction. Okay. It is the, the, the seminal work that, that influenced all this other stuff. Like you could get rid of the rest of the original Dune trilogy mm-hmm. and like the memes that we see on the internet all right. the time anyway would still be there okay. okay because because when you see ir dune cat i control spice with the you know cat wrapped up in the in the blanket like a right. sausage with the you know altered blue eyes sure that's a reference to the like if you know the first book you know what that means sure yeah yeah and even if you don't know the first book if you've seen the movie you get if it. you've seen the movie you get it yeah and even if you haven't read the book or seen the movie if you've been on the internet long enough yeah you know the reference, and somebody has probably said, "Oh, it's a science fiction novel from back in the '60s about right." You are conversant with it. Worm. Yeah, yeah, you're conversant with with the things that are involved. Right, and and that's why I think it's important to talk about the book mm-hmm. because it's become such a huge touchstone, not just in the science fiction fandom community, mm-hmm. but in our popular culture. Okay. You know, um, and, and I mean, a big part of that certainly was the David Lynch movie. Right. That um, captured everybody's visual imagination. With yes. It. Very yes. much. And everything that probably came after has been a response to that one way or another. An awful lot. Visually. Of it, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 Visually, certainly. Yeah. So, so. And isn't there a movie coming out? Yes, there is. Okay. And, oh my God. I'm so excited for no, it. Well, I cannot begin good timing? to tell you. Good timing. Cannot begin to tell you. Like, right. like the internal squeeing is so <laughs> loud. Um, I don't know enough about Timothy Chalamet, uh, to know what I'm going to think about his Paul Atreides. Okay. But all of the other casting decisions they've made are good, are amazing. Okay. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm way, I'm way stoked. Okay. Way excited for it. Uh, and well, visually what the bits of it that we've seen visually, mm-hmm. it's going to be, a, it's going to be a very major departure from the David Lynch vision. Mm-hmm. And I think it's going to be closer in a great many ways to the pictures that Herbert had in his own head. Okay. When he was writing the book, I think it's going to look a lot more like what Herbert himself was imagining. Well, I'm going to leave my next question out of it because I'm sure you're going to get to it. But I would point out that in the new Dune, also Zendaya is going to be in it. Yes. And uh, I would love to see her not play smarmy uh, Mary Jane. Uh, Yeah. Not that I minded smarmy Mary Jane. I think it adds something to the Spider-Man movies. Yeah. But, uh, and also uh, I noticed that it's going to to have uh, Dave Bautista. Yeah. As the Beast Raban. And Josh Brolin. Yeah. Yeah. and so, and Stellan Skarsgård. Yeah. So that's four people in the MCU. Yeah. Coming together now. In and fairness, Aquaman. Yeah, yeah. And then, and yeah. In fairness, Jason Momoa's Duncan Idaho. Yeah. Which I also cannot wait to see. And in fairness, uh, all of the MCU is like every other actor now. So yeah. Well, yeah. It's it's become yeah, the but it's twelve hundred pounds. Also, uh, Javier Bardem. Yep. And uh, it, who has been in. Oh God! What was he in that I remembered? Um, it'll come to me in a bit. Okay. Uh, but also, uh, uh, what do you call it? Um, Oscar Isaac. Yeah. From Star Wars fame. Yeah. Um. So yeah. As Duke Leto. Yes. Not not merely not merely in the film, but as one of the central characters of of 
the early parts of the mm-hmm. story. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> spoilers. He, he doesn't make it through the whole, through the whole thing. Good um, I'm going to say, I'm going to say the book is, you know, 55 years old. So I'm not going to, there are no spoilers. Spend, there are no yeah. spoilers anymore. Um, so now I'm going to admit like from the outset that I have really been intimidated uh, by this topic. Like when we first got together to talk about yeah. topics that we were going to be doing. I remember you two specifically years ago, said, yeah, I specifically said, I'm going to have to do something about Dune, but Oh God, I don't know how I'm going to get a biting angle. Yep. Yep. And, and the thing is it's because just, just like I said, it's this cultural juggernaut. It's this, it's this thing within science fiction that it is, it is one of those works that you can say, well, okay, this was pre-Dune and this was post-Dune. Okay. Um, it's in the same category as uh, classics of the genre like The Lord of the Rings, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, like the Pern series by Anne McCaffrey, which interestingly is uh, less than a decade after Dune. Huh. Uh, the 60s and 70s were, were, a, were a watershed kind of period for, for science fiction as a genre, especially literary science fiction as a genre. There's a whole lot going on. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, it's, it is, it is one of those things that has echoed down through the genre ever since. Okay. And so, and, and a big part of the reasoning for that is it was one of the first science fiction novels that really got into really, really big ideas Okay. Science fiction up until the 50s was largely formulaic. And I'm not saying it all was, but I'm saying, I'm saying the, the overwhelming majority of stuff that was getting published in the pulps, the overwhelming majority of stuff that was, that was the genre, Mm -hmm. uh, was adventure stories with a scientific twist to them. Right. That had been, okay, well, you know, I'm going to teach this, like very early science fiction was, I'm going to teach this scientific principle oh, okay. by putting it into this this adventure story. About, sure, you know, sure. I mean, in many you ways, know, you're talking... Douglas in the 22nd century. You're talking about making something uh, fit for mass public consumption, yeah. typically in an anthology as well. Um, yeah. And, in, and yeah, in an anthology magazine, a pulp magazine. That ultimately echoes uh, songs on the radio. Yeah, they all, they all had to be basically within two minutes. Yes, and then they would get played on the radio, and the radio is for mass, you know. Again, so it's not like there weren't people playing brilliant music somewhere; they just weren't on the radio. Yeah, because uh, they were doing their own thing that was yeah. not acceptable to radio mass consumption yet. Yeah, and yeah. I and I know that people are going to come come at me like in their heads as I say this about so much of science fiction during this time period being formulaic, and they're going to be, well, you know, what about Lensman? What about? you know, Heinlein's other stuff. What about this, that, and the other? I'm going to, and I'm mm-hmm. going to say, here's the thing. We remember the works that stood out. Mm-hmm. The overwhelming, just like you're talking about, about music on the radio. If you were actually to go back and find a recording of 12 hours of popular radio music from the fifties. Yes. There'd be so much shit on there that nobody remembered. Yes. Yes. Because it came, was consumed. Yeah, it was okay. And it was Done. gone in a flash. Yeah. The stuff that we hear now on oldie stations mm-hmm. is the no no this for some reason has resonance this, this for some kept. reason has yeah. staying power yeah this is exceptional for this one reason or another you know um, and the same and it's the same is true with literature mm-hmm. you know the number the number of books that went out of print and were completely forgotten the number yeah. of pulp magazines that were shredded burned whatever thrown away in a landfill absolutely 
you know, so it's, it's the same kind of thing. So, so what we remember is the stuff that's exceptional and the stuff that we hold up as classics of the genre are even more exceptional. And Dune is that. Okay. And, you know, so, so number one, it's this, it's this big thing. Um, and, and everybody, because it's so important, everybody has, has said something about it. Mm-hmm. Like literary critics, science fiction websites, science fiction, uh, uh, it's become blogs. a touchstone. It's become a touchstone. Yeah. And, and for a really long time, I was like, I don't know what I can say that a dozen other people haven't already said. Right. Because it's been analyzed front, left, up, down, you know. Sure. Um, and and critiqued and explained that even analysis of the book's tropes has become full of tropes of its own. Mm. Like, okay, okay, well, this 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 person is homing in on, you know, the hydraulic empire angle of the spice. And so they're going to be talking about, you know, mm-hmm. uh, uh, the Middle East and this, that and the other, you know, uh, or, you know, well, th- this person is going to be looking at the you know white savior trope within it and all this kind of stuff. So, so there are, there are tropes within the analysis of the tropes. In the right. World. Right. Um, and so I had to get over the urge to originalism and, and just find my own hook on it. And, and hopefully that's, that's going to start to stand out as we're discussing. Well, and you know, uh, not, not to stroke you too much here, but you're going to be teaching a seminal work to somebody who has no real context or connection to it that's in itself going to okay you know. yeah no indeed that's yeah. true so and then this the second reason this was this was so intimidating and i've touched on it already is this book is just so fucking dense um it has layers like a lasagna with with every layer packed full of meaty bits and no small amount of cheese <laughs> uh and it takes itself the whole book takes itself so seriously now is that a uh convention of the time or is that I specific think, to Herbert? I think a little of column A, a little of column B. Okay. It is it is the product of planetary romance, mm-hmm. which was this op, which is the foundation of space opera, which is the foundation of Star Wars, Buck Rogers, all that stuff. Uh, you know, uh, John Carter of Mars. Sure. Those those stories were all done on this on a sweeping romantic scale, and the heroes were you know larger than life, and everything was was. You know the, the the pitch of everything was at eleven, and, and mm-hmm. the gain was way high. You know, um, and so it's 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 coming out of that genre, and I think I think from from having recently now reread it again, mm-hmm. I almost get the feeling like Herbert was consciously kind of commenting on it. Okay, but he was also talking about some stuff that was really clear. He was like, no, 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 no this is a big fucking deal Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and and so there's 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 this kind of tension between how much is he playing that up for effect and how much of that is no no he he is he is himself taking it that seriously okay he's he's kind of living in that weird border territory between the two and in wrestling we'd call that ribbing on the square you're you're actually taking it seriously, but if anybody asks you, no, 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 yeah. no, yeah, yeah, pretty much, yeah, yeah, that's a good that's a good way of taking it. Um, so so the two urges for me are either 
to try to match that seriousness, which a, a lot of commentary has done. It gets treated as capital S serious, capital B business okay. by all kinds of critics. Like it is, it's, right. it's, it's a lot of, a lot of people, you know, treat it as, because I mean, it is this very important work within the genre. It really sure. is this moment sure. where a lot of stuff kind of crystallized. Um, but, um, you know, they, 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 they want to talk about it as a scholarly work full of deep thoughts and big ideas. Mm hmm. Or the other the other way to go is to mock it to heck and gone for its pomposity and its and its overwrought gravitas. Um, There's a third path, which is our show, which would be to kind of do both. Yeah, like like look at its pomposity as yeah. an artifact of yeah of the time in which it was yeah. done. Yeah. yeah, funny you should say that because my next <laughs> paragraph says, "True to the form of this show, I'm going to kind of do both." <laughs> Because I think it deserves both. Because yeah, because sure. it is, as I've said now repeatedly, it is it is this this important moment in the development of the genre. It is it and it does he does talk about these really important big philosophical ideas, these mm -hmm. these ideas about governance, these ideas about the relationship between power, like you talking about postmodernism. Right. So much meditation on power. Okay. So much meditation on power and the nature of power mm -hmm. and how absolute power ultimately winds up becoming limiting i you know, can see that, that yeah that, you know and and this this i mean it's Wait, what? oh my god when did he write this when did this come 65 out? published in 65 he wrote it between 60 i think 63 to 64 i wonder if he'd seen that episode of twilight zone about Which the one? dictator where the guy is clearly Castro, but not. It's pro. It was probably because that. I mean, he's he, trapped he probably, by his. Yeah, he, yeah. he probably he. I, I, what, what I would venture to guess is, if he did see it, mm -hmm. Herbert, kind of being the guy that he was, I'm sure he already had those ideas in his head, but he looked at it and went, "Oh, oh, yes, yeah, like that, yes, yes, yes. you know, yeah, because yeah." Um, and that's a great example of kind of how, how those ideas were all were floating around yep. in, in the mass consciousness. Mm -hmm. Um, and so it's, it's a, it's a very important work in early, what is called soft science fiction. Uh, it's a massive influence both within science fiction and beyond. Even if you, as I mentioned earlier, if you, even if you haven't read the book or seen all or any of the films, you probably know the first line or two of the litany against fear. I will not fear. Fear is the mind killer. I know fear when you say it. Death. Fear is the little death that brings total oblivion. Okay. I, will face I know. My fear. Yeah. I will let it pass through me and over me and through me. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. I and, like that. And in the space that is left only, I will remain. Oh, man. I kind of want to put that in Latin now. <laughs> I, you could probably find somebody who's already done it and then oh, critique yeah. their translation. <laughs> Um, you've seen reference to references to sandworms or the spice melange. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Any number of other meme-friendly tidbits out of the book. Right. Um, at the same time, it is stilted, it's overwrought, it's melodramatic, and it places it's a hard read. Like yeah. it takes effort. Again, though, you told me it was in the sixties. It's so, so kind of there you go. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, the characters tell each other whole chapters worth of of exposition. <laughs> Their inner monologues uh -huh. all sound artfully composed. Okay, like yeah. in his own head, the protagonist sounds like a Shakespearean protagonist. Um, <clears throat> and all of those big ideas mm -hmm. mean that there are lots of lines of print dedicated to heavy philosophizing. At the expense of the action and and sometimes of the pacing of the story. Okay. Uh, so it deserves a bit of mockery too. Sure. 
So altogether then, it, it's a great subject for us to get into. And so like we have done before, mm-hmm. um, I want to start by leaving the book completely behind and going into the history Please do. of the world at the time that Herbert was writing it. Um, and I'm, I'm going to start actually by talking about Herbert's career. Okay. Um, so he started publishing stories in pulp magazines in the 40s. Okay. Uh, his earliest works were not science fiction. They were adventure pulp stories. Okay. Uh, and then he got into science fiction in the 50s. I, I, I'm i going to make a guess here. Yes. Based on the other authors that you have chosen to highlight yes. from this same era. Yeah. Howard. Yeah. Raised, by the way. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the biggest one. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, and then uh, prior to that when, was... When we're talking specifically about the pulps. Howard yeah, was, yeah. yeah. Um, and then also um, oh, uh, Starship Troopers guy. Heinlein. Okay, so why why do they all start with H? First of all, uh, <laughs> that's a good question. Wow. S- yeah. Shit. Yeah. Okay. Talk about pattern on the wallpaper. <laughs> Second of all, yeah. uh, I I am going to guess that given the I remember seeing parts of the movie. Okay. Given the focus of conquest, empire, stuff like that. Okay. I'm gonna guess that he was in the navy. I gotta look that back up. Okay. I don't recall the detail. I don't. I think he he. And he said he started writing in the '40s, so that tells me he, yeah. if he was in the Navy, he would have been done by then. Yeah. Which means he missed the war. Yeah. But I, I'm, I'm Hold gonna on. guess that he now was in I gotta the Navy. Look that back up. Hold and on, I'm also gonna guess that because he started writing adventure pulp first, that his childhood was unsettled. I'm gonna guess yeah. both of those things. So, okay, yep. so it's it's kind of spooky. Um, <laughs> he served in the Seabees for six months as a photographer. What are Seabees? Uh, they are the engineering. They're, they're like the Navy's version of the Corps of Engineers. Oh, okay, okay. Uh, and so he served as a photographer uh-huh. uh, in the Seabees during World War II. Got a oh. medical discharge. Wait, during World War II, though? So I was, I was yeah. off on his years. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so he was in during the war. Um, and his, his childhood was, he ran away from home in 1938 to live with an aunt in Salem, Oregon. Hmm. Um, so yeah, and his, his home environment was not great due to the great depression, according to, right. uh, uh, Wikipedia. Okay. So uh, wait, and so... so he was born 1920. So he was notably younger yeah. Than the other guys that we've talked about. So in '38, he ran away to to his aunts. You said. Yes. So that would have made him 18. Yeah. So. Okay. He graduated so. from high school in Salem, Oregon. Lied about okay. his age in order to get a newspaper job. Oh. Yeah. Wait, did somebody else we talk about? No. No. Okay. Not not that I can. Not recall working either. for a newspaper. No. Yeah. No. Okay. So. Okay, I'm okay. I I I'm wrong about I I'm right about the branch, but I'm wrong about his time of service. I, yes, I would have thought that he didn't see combat, combat, and or well, whether whether or not he was in a combat zone as a CB. Well, you said medical yeah. discharge, so I, yeah, I assumed, so, yeah, but probably, okay, yeah, but well, uh, yeah, yeah, medical medical discharge could could be wounded, could be any, it could know, be injured, yeah, threw his so, back out doing yeah. something, you know. Um, okay, so yeah, hmm. so. He's he's in a similar stripe in in a number of ways with with the other guys. Yeah, with with Highland. He's kind of a, a portmanteau of both because a you little know, bit unsettled childhood and yeah. 
Well, neighbor. Howard's Howard's childhood was very settled, but very unhappy. Yes. Yes. So good point. You know, good point. there's but it's it's six to one half yeah, exactly. potato potato. Yeah, yeah. But uh, so it's interesting though that mm-hmm. you bring up the parallel with Heinlein because Heinlein is one of his stated biggest influences. He himself said Heinlein science fiction work was was a huge influence on his own mm-hmm. forays, early forays into the genre. Sure. Uh, also, Poole Anderson and Jack Vance were big names. Okay. You may or may not recognize Jack Vance. I'm sure you don't know Paul Anderson because yeah, no, that's no. deep literary sci-fi geek stuff. Vance is an important one. Mm-hmm. Uh, number one, because Jack Vance, uh, his work, The Dying Earth, was itself a huge influence on uh, the imagination of Gary Gygax. Oh, okay. And so, and I may have mentioned this in passing in, in other times in other episodes, but the whole idea of... As a wizard, I can memorize these spells and cast this many spells before I forget them and I have to study to relearn them. Uh-huh. That is a Vancean, it's referred to as oh. Vancean magic because that's how wizardry worked in the weird eldritch sure. nature of, of his his Dying Earth series. Okay. Uh, Vance is also very notable here, specifically within the, within the context of us getting to Dune, because he was a planetary romance guy. Uh, John Carter of Mars. Type, okay. You know, okay. You yeah. know, swashbuckling adventure in space. Kind right. Of stuff. Right. Um, and uh, he was a contemporary mm-hmm. of Herbert's, and the novel Big Planet, which I can get into later when we actually talk about influences and everything, is is clearly a very big influence on on Arrakis and mm-hmm. Dune. Mm-hmm. Um. So now. Uh, Herbert's first published novel, The Dragon in the Sea, was originally published as a serial in Astounding Magazine starting in November of 55. Now, by this time, the uh, pulps, as as we refer to them as the pulps, had, had died out. The market had essentially right. crashed. Uh, the adventure stories moved into comic books and science fiction became its own thing in, in digest magazines. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, astounding was one of them at the time and then over the course of the next several decades the number of digest magazines shrank right right until in 2000 there were like five of them left uh and so uh dragon in the sea touched on ideas of conflict over oil this is in 55 whoa okay real quick where where is herbert from uh pacific northwest Okay, so he's an American. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, we did overthrow the Shah on behalf of England so that BP could continue. Yes. So, I mean, we installed the Shah. I'm yeah, sorry. we installed o- the overthrew Shah. Overthrew Mossadegh. Yeah. Um, what Remind mm, me what year was the overthrow of Mossadegh. That was 53. Okay. Yeah. All right. So, yeah. but how much did most Americans pay attention to that? But he is a literary fellow, so it could okay. be that he yeah. spent more time reading stuff. Uh, you know, William Appleman Williams was writing history not not less than, uh, not more than 10 years later. Yeah. And right. he was absolutely saying, no, it was predatory capitalism using communism as a spokescreen. Okay. Take a look at Iraq. Or Iran, uh, Iraq. You know, yeah, so, okay. uh, right. you know, it, you had an intelligentsia in the country okay. that was capable of, of, of digesting that. Okay. So, All right. yeah. so okay. yeah, it could be, mm-hmm. could be, mm-hmm. but, but within the overarching mass consciousness, mm-hmm. 
the the understanding of oil as a hydraulic empire literally <laughs> uh kind of kind of resource right uh was not something that that was was part of like our consciousness as as a as a culture his in, in his experience as a cb no he said he was a photographer though Although, well, but he was he adjacent to all yes, the guys yes. who were doing mechanic, you know. So it could well be that he understood the importance of oil and was like, let's pull that out a little more. Yeah, let's extrapolate so, yeah. and see this. Yeah. So, yes. Um, and so he started working on Dune in 1959. Okay. Uh, he There was a, a magazine article that he started doing research for uh, that was going to be about the Oregon Dunes. Uh, in, okay. in, along in coastal Oregon, there was a project going on, but by the USDA, uh, because there are these huge sand hills. Okay. I did, in, in, did not know in that. coastal Oregon. I'm trying to remember precisely where. And the thing is, this is this huge amount of loose sand that, uh, could potentially, you know, present if, if there's serious wind events or whatever, it can turn mm-hmm. into, you know, sandstorm be destructive of, of development and everything, you know, farming, farming sure. land and all that stuff. And so the USDA was working on finding a way to stabilize the dunes by introducing uh, poverty grasses. Okay, so kind of a, a retread of what happened in the 1930s to stop all the topsoil from eroding. Yeah. Yeah, okay. And uh, so he wound up, this, this, captured his imagination and he wound up gathering way more information than he needed for the article. Hmm. So the magazine article never got written. I can relate. Cause he, yeah, you think, <laughs> um, but, but that was, that was the earliest inspiration for Dune. Okay. The, the, the portion of that that caught his attention, caught his imagination was, was the seed mm-hmm. or seedling that, that turned into okay. what eventually became Dune. Now, should also be noted somewhere around this time he experimented with psilocybin <laughs> and his psychedelic experiences are another huge theme that sure. we're going to that we're going to get to uh, talking about the book so in analog magazine between november 1963 to february of 1964 mm-hmm. dune world okay. was published okay. as a serial then in 1965, The Prophet of Dune was published between January and May. All right. Also in analog science fiction. The first serial became book one in the eventual novel. Mm-hmm. And the second serial became books two and three. Okay. Okay. The novelized version was finally published by Chilton Books in August of 1965 after being rejected by over 20 different science fiction publishers. I love those stories of just like, it was rejected by all of these and then this one picked it up and then it became this. Yeah. By the way, you yeah. know, you know what Chilton is most famous for, right? Yeah. For like technical manuals for like yeah, the Toyota. Automotive, automotive yeah. manuals. Yeah. yeah. The Chilton's the Chilton's book for your car. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Anytime I buy a new car, it's the first thing I look up is where do I get the Chilton's manual? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They, you wait, who, you know, <laughs> Um, that's, that's one of those details that every time I get reminded of it, I'm like, how did that, (laughs) whatever. Okay. Moving on. So now to talk about the world in which Herbert wrote the book. So that's, Uh that's the history of kind of where he came from and how, how the book came about in his psyche Mm -hmm. to talk about what was happening in the world. Uh, psychedelia was in its infancy 
And we just talked about him experimenting yes. with psilocybin. Uh, Leary and Huxley mm -hmm. uh, both encouraged widespread use of LSD as a mind-expanding drug. Yes. Um, if I'm remembering the details right, Leary was like, no, no, everybody needs to do this. Everybody. Yeah. Everybody expand, you know, have these experiences, you know, uh, you know, essentially slip the surly bonds of your, of yeah. your you know, mental Open wiring. the doors of perception. Open the doors of perception. Well, that's Huxley, but yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. Huxley, I found out in mm -hmm. researching this, had a much more elitist view of it. He, huh. he argued that, no, no, you... If you're gonna if you're gonna mess with this stuff, you need to be properly educated. You need to be, you know, because again, Huxley being an Englishman, Leary being an American, Huxley, there's there's clearly <laughs> there's, some class. There's a well, also know. Huxley, there is a procedure to staying safe. Leary. Yeehaw! <laughs> Yeehaw! You know, yeah, this is true. That's so. a good point. All right, you know, to be to be a yeah. little more charitable to Huxley, I suppose. Yeah. Um, and as I mentioned, Herbert himself experimented with psilocybin. I, I would point out that Jim Morrison of The Doors, yes, named as band after The Doors of Perception, which was yeah, a Huxley yeah, quote, yeah. right? Uh, regularly used imagery having to do with going into a desert. Oh, yeah. I do find it interesting that Herbert also yeah. going into a desert. Now, never having done LSD, and, and uh, I know I'm going to get... All kinds of text messages from all kinds of <laughs> listeners. You know who you are. Uh, but uh, never having done LSD, I do wonder if there's a layer of like the emptiness and vastness of a desert. I think I think there's there's a lot of poetic, mystical mm -hmm. kind of kind of symbolism that comes from it's that. Also, an isolation. The vastness. In the the, the yeah. vastness. The isolation. Yeah. Um, stripped down of reality yeah the, yeah the removal of extraneous you know everything sure. and 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 I, I think i think there are multiple kind of angles from which that that could be approached yeah um but yeah so the cold war at this time mm -hmm. um the eisenhower doctrine showed up in 1957 yep which for those unfamiliar with the eisenhower doctrine because you know, I'm kind of talking inside baseball to Damien as a fellow historian. Uh, the Eisenhower Doctrine was uh, essentially a corollary to the Monroe Doctrine. Monroe Doctrine said, we're not going to let you mess around here in, in the Americas. And the Eisenhower Doctrine said, but if we have to do something to protect our interests against communist aggression in the Middle East, we're going to intervene in the Middle East if we have to. Right. Essentially, which is funny that it's which I'm after the fact. Yeah, I'm, I'm simplifying. <laughs> yes, you know, but that's basically what it says. And yeah, it's a justification for having installed the Shah. Uh, the Cuban Missile Crisis was in '62. Mm -hmm. So, as we talked about previously, that was this moment where the existence of the entire world was pivoted on a on a knife edge. Yes. Uh, the Gulf of Tonkin incident was in 1964. Yep. Which is the official, air quotes, start of the Vietnam War right. for Americans. It's where we actually said, okay, yeah, we are fighting here. We're not yeah, just advising. We're not, we're not just advising. No, no. Right. No, no. We're going to bomb the shit out of you. Right. Um, and then the partial test ban treaty, which you remember mm -hmm. we mentioned talking about Heinlein. Right. That happened in 63. Okay. Okay. Now, at the same time that's going on in the Cold War, as mm -hmm. a corollary to that... 
empires Mm -hmm. are rapidly falling apart. Yeah, uh, the statistic is always my favorite. Prior to 1945, any any, uh, colony that stood up to its suzerain, I guess, or its colonizer, uh, lost. And after 1945, any that stood up won. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. So the Portuguese colonies started to pull away after Goa was annexed by India in 61. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, this eventually led to a 13-year-long war in Angola, Mozambique, and Guinea-Bissau. Mm-hmm. The French occupation of Algeria ended in 1962. The Dirty War. The Dirty War. An abortive coup by a group of French generals who didn't want to see colonial rule end. <laughs> the French yep. gave up Indochina in the 1950s, Vietnam, Cambodia, and Laos, granting 54 Vietnam... 54 was yep. uh, Dien Bien Phu. Dien Bien yep, yep. Phu. The British Commonwealth expanded rapidly in the 1950s and 60s as essentially the whole empire got cut loose owing to post-war economic realities. <laughs> yeah. We just don't have the money to hold on to anymore. Yeah. There's Fly, a, be free! There is a whole you debate know. in uh, in Parliament uh, where it was Bevan and then there was a guy named Bavan. Fucking Brits. British aristocracy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but they were they you represented just a guy with with a surname starting with Fitz. And you'd exactly, like, yeah. you know. But he uh, and I forget which one it was, but he basically said uh, we are not going to because it was uh, America offered a sweet deal: get rid of your empire, and we'll marshal plan the hell out of you. Oh, okay. version two. Yeah, and uh, one of them said, uh, you know, basically I will not let the English Empire be sold for the price of a package of cigarettes. So very how British. very English. So English. How very how very upper crust English. Yes. That's yes. that's Downton Abbey level, level it really is. dialogue right yeah. there. Like, do you understand? Like yeah, yeah. step outside yeah. of of Parliament. Step outside the building yeah. and and look at how your own people are, are having to live right now. Yeah. Yeah. Like, are you are you related to the Antoinettes? <laughs> like the fuck? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, so Kenya mm-hmm. had the Mau Mau uprising Mau between 52 yep. and 56. Yep. There was a three-sided civil war in Rhodesia mm-hmm. starting in 64 that ran all the way until 1979. Yeah, then... It lasted long enough that Warren Zevon wrote a song about it. <laughs> By the way, it's a good song. Roland the Headless Thompson Gunner. Highly recommended. It's okay. amazing. Okay. It ends with Patty Heard heard the burst of Roland's Thompson gun and bought it. Okay. Anyway, right. so yeah, 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 like, yeah. Uh, Belgium uh-huh. cut the Congo loose without any preparation at all well, in not, 1960. N- not only that, they unscrewed the light bulbs in all the buildings oh. and took them with them. <laughs> yeah, how fucking petty. I mean, super petty. <laughs> like, and wow. like, my favorite part is the speech. Like, if you ever get a chance, read the speech that Patrice Lumumba delivers when he accepts, you know, because they're like, okay, you need to thank, thank King Bedouin and all this kind of stuff. And he's like, the fuck I do? <laughs> So, and and he just like just lists all the shit that Congolese have had to deal with. Oh yeah. And he's like, and now it's ours. Yeah. And it's like not even thank you. No. It just like oh, oh. man, it's so good. Well, yeah. And the problem was the guy in charge of the UN was from Belgium, so he absolutely let the CIA <laughs> and everybody. everybody. Do all that they could yeah. to fuck Patrice Lumumba over. Yeah. So yeah. Lumumba has a special place in my heart. Yeah. No, I can so, understand. Yeah. Based on just that story. Yeah. I can understand why. Yeah. But uh, okay. So that's 1960, yeah. 61. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, their colony of Rwanda similarly descended into tribal warfare uh-huh. after independence in a cycle that carried on for literally decades. Yes. 
Now, the Middle East is an interesting case here. The Middle East had been cut up into multiple protectorates and mandates after the First World War. So, like, they were part of these empires, but on paper, they had their own governments. It's like a territory system for America. Yeah. Yeah. And by the 50s, most of those states were at least nominally independent. Mm -hmm. But there had been revolts against colonial powers across the region in the 20s and 30s, which, as you pointed out, Mm -hmm. had all lost because pre-World War II, post-World War II. Afghanistan is worth mentioning here because it had been a semi-client kingdom that Britain had never fully conquered, Mm -hmm. but had gone to war with three times in the 19th century. (laughs) Mostly because... Uh, Afghanistan, the rulers of Afghanistan were consistently a problem for the British Raj in India. Right. Uh, and and so they, they kept trying to bring them directly under control and they never succeeded because fucking Afghanistan. It's Afghanistan, yeah. Egypt asserted its own power in 56. Yep. By nationalizing the Suez Canal. Which leading... was Go ahead. one of the only times, and if this is what you're about to say, it's one of the only times that the US and the USSR were on the same side. Yeah. Because they were telling France and Britain, stop it. Knock it the fuck off. Yeah. Yeah. And also, it's one of those few occasions on which the English and the French, like, willingly, eagerly cooperated on something. Yep, yep. The UK and France backed Israel's invasion of the Sinai as cover to seize the canal and oust the Nasser government. Right. Uh, The specific event is really important to the book. Okay. This is real, and you'll see why when we get into details. We're going to see that in a bit. Across the Middle East, there was this overarching sense of circumstances of Western powers asserting rulership over populations who largely kind of like restively tolerated them, but went about their daily business holding them in contempt. Yeah. I mean, it's this is what happens when you have, well, you have that geography. Yeah. Where it's like, oh, cool. You're the king. All right. Have fun being a king. I'm going to. Be over here because I have shit to do. Yeah, like, like you know, I got I got Oh no, no, you rode by. You're a great king. Yeah, yeah. yeah, fuck, yeah fuck, fuck off. off. Like, yeah, Whatever. yeah. I mean, straight up. Yeah. Uh, this is where you start to see pan-Arabism too. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Now I'm focusing heavily here mm-hmm. because looking at the cases that I've chosen, mm-hmm. I'm focusing heavily here on the ones where violence was involved in the decolonization process. Okay. Because there were plenty of places like the, the British let any number of their colonies leave and join the Commonwealth. Just like, no, no, no. Have your independence. Partly because we're letting of, you go because we because don't really of, have a choice. Because of the violence in the other places. Yeah, though, because too. They, they were so busy. They're like, they were so busy putting those fires out that they're like, you know what? I don't you want know, my nose broken again. Yeah, well, <laughs> like, you know. And and yeah. I'm busy trying trying to stop the bleeding over here. I just don't have the resources. Right. You know. Right. So no, no, go go fly, be free, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. join the Commonwealth. You know. Hail the Queen. You know. Yep. Um. And, and first, these violent incidents would have been in the forefront of Herbert's mind mm-hmm, mm-hmm. because they're the ones, you know, if it bleeds, it leads, is, is a perennial truth. Sure. And secondly, they tie thematically into the ideas he expresses in the book. Okay. About hydraulic empire, about collapse or maintenance of empires, mm-hmm. about the nature of power. It, it's, it, it's all there. Okay. Now... I want to talk about the state of science fiction in the early 60s. Okay. But I think, especially owing to the 30 minutes we spent. <laughs> Sorry. Ending, no, no, no. Yeah, no yeah. I, I'm as guilty, even more guilty than you are. Uh, but having having done that, I think this is a good kind of pause point 
Yeah, and I think can, that's and wise. We can, and we can pick up from here. Okay. Um, based on just the bit that I've talked about so far, mm-hmm. what what are your thoughts going into our so, next? Episode? Never having read Dune. Okay. My thought is is I'm going to predict what Dune is about. Okay. Uh, and again, I saw the movie like I think the same year I saw Ghostbusters. Okay. So I was like six. Okay. Yeah, it's 1984. Okay, so, yeah, that makes yeah. sense. All right. So I don't remember much of Dune except okay. for the giant floating vagina. Um, and, oh, uh, the Guild Navigator. Right. Okay, yeah. It was uh, like, wait, and, hold uh, on. And, I, and a I few swear, words. I swear I'd remember that. Okay, no, wait, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I do. Okay, yes. yes, I know what you're talking about. Uh, okay. But also there, there's like a needle. By the, someone's, way, yeah? by the way, that's a very Lynchian uh, uh, adaptation of, oh, okay. of Herbert's own stuff, which is... Yeah, and a 1980s, Lynch, you know. Yeah, well, I, yeah, you I, know. I, I, yeah, I'm gonna blame Lynch more than the fair, decade, but fair. yeah. Uh, but also, uh, there was a needle at uh, Agent Cooper's neck. The Gom Jabbar. Okay, and I think he had to put his hand in a box, which yes. is really funny because I grew up like I was a little too old to be really laughing at Dick in a Box. The skit, <laughs> yeah, but it totally, yeah, like, it totally, yeah, echoes, yeah, yeah. Um, and I think there was like a little bald girl, and then Captain Picard Paul's, was in it. Paul's sister, Saint Alia of the Knife. Sure. Long story. We'll get into that when we Wait talk for about my psychic, brother Barry. Psychic, psychic, I remember psychic her realism. saying that. Yes, yes. And then also Patrick Stewart was in it, which was weird because at that Gurney, time, Gurney Halleck, I had seen Excalibur. Yeah, and I was like, oh, it's, he's doing the same thing again. Kind of. Yeah. So similar, very similar kind that's, of character. So vibe. that's yeah. what I remember. I don't really remember much in the way of plot. I know Sting okay. was in it. I know there's a floating, floating I fat man. I will kill him. Oh, oh yeah. Okay. My God, you don't remember. That is like nope. peak 80s Sting. That whole moment. I got nothing. Like in, in interviews about like mm-hmm. what was going on in his own head at the time. Okay. Uh, Sting has has said getting, getting cast in that role in that film. Mm-hmm fucked him up <laughs> i bet i bet because because that that was at this moment where where he had because he was essentially the the face of the police right which you know the guy who actually formed the police is still bitter about that to this day because i can't even remember that guy's name but i can tell you that sting was born gordon sumner <laughs> so you know okay. uh to give you an idea of who's citing that argument i'd take but and you know so he he was at this point where uh he he was this huge thing in, okay in yeah pop culture and then and and like he he fell into this secondary persona okay that was that was no 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 there's sting and then there's sting gotcha and and what you see fade ralph that's he said no that's that's, that's what one. was going on in okay. my head so anyway so uh so needless to say i don't remember much in the way of plot i'm sure okay. somebody had to go put something somewhere or something. I don't. No. I don't. Okay. Well, I, eh. Yeah. We'll get into it. So uh, now the, the there's the there's the okay. Here's the bare bones recap of the plot mm-hmm. that I'm gonna do, and then okay now, now okay we've got to unpack all the other stuff. So having said that, here's my guess for what's gonna happen, and okay. based on what you told me, okay, there is going to be an empire that is on its way down, um, holding okay. on to power, and the people that. I'm going to guess that Agent Cooper uh, unites them somehow. 
Okay. Uh, but this is before Agent Cooper. Oh, I know, okay, I know, right. but I I don't always remember his name. But I remember Kyle McLaughlin. It, yes. Yes. Uh, Agent Cooper without with, the with shellac. That, with that. Yeah. With that. Total 80s haircut. Yes. Yeah. Okay, so Kyle McLaughlin is probably going to unite them somehow. Yeah. And But it's going to be bloody and messy. And if there is a victory, because I remember they talked about wanting to make sequels to this. But if there is a victory, then you're not going to be quite sure that you agreed with all of their tactics. Okay. So that's what I think is going to happen. Okay, some moral ambiguity. A little bit, a little bit. Okay. Like, uh, it's clearly bad people that are in charge, but if the people who are coming up are going to be unsettling in some way okay. for people. Okay. Uh, and uh, given that he cared a lot about oil, I'm going to say that the spice is going to be a stand-in for the oil. Okay. So, because yeah. I remember spice pure unrefined, which tells me oil. Okay, so, yeah, yeah, so. yeah. yeah. There is there there are lots of parallels in that direction. So okay, that's what I've got. Okay, yeah. so we will we will revisit sure. this yes. at the beginning next time when we okay. when we when we start talking about it. The history of sci-fi. Yeah, basically. yeah, so, yeah. Okay. Essentially, cool. So, uh, as far as uh, books to read, I've got nothing. Okay. Um, but uh, I I will say that I'm working my way through Supernatural. Okay. And I just watched the hotel one where they used every hotel trope. trope. There was, it was like The Shining meets Psycho. Yeah. Um, it was oh. fun. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, no. So. That, that's that's one of those, to me, that's one mm-hmm. of the episodes where the writer's room was clicking on all cylinders. It, were, it worked it well. Really, all the way. Really and even the minutia room. really got me because like uh, the, the room that they got was room 237. Yeah. And I was like, ah, it's funny. Yep. All right, so that's that's uh, what I've got. I've got nothing to recommend. What do you got? Okay, I have a history to recommend. Okay. Uh, the Greatest Night by Thomas Asbridge. Okay. Um, it's a biography of William Marshall, who... You'd mentioned him previously. Uh, and and his rise from a essentially expendable second son of a Norman warlord uh, during the uh, first English Civil War period between Stephen and Matilda uh, to literally rising as high as somebody could rise in England in the 13th century without actually becoming king. Okay. Um, and it's a fascinating study of his career uh, and and just how, how he was both... Uh, very typical of the kind of man he was in that time period and also how he became the archetype okay for that kind of man in the time in which he lived he was he was the cultural touchstone partly because he lived so long he he, he was on the battlefield into his 70s all right uh, which was you know That's pretty old way old for the time yeah. period and and just because of that and because of the reputation that he'd he'd garnered over the course of his career mm-hmm. uh how he became uh the the archetype that we now when we in the modern world think of chivalry okay a lot of our ideas are formed by who william marshall was and what he did okay. and so it's a cool. very it's a very very easy read mm-hmm uh, without being dumbed down or oversimplified, mm-hmm. uh, just very highly recommended. Love the book. Okay. Uh, so I recommend that very highly. Cool. Well, where can people find you on the social medias? I can be found on the social medias at eh Blaylock on Twitter mm-hmm. uh, and on Instagram. I can be found as Mr. Blaylock on the TikTok. 
where can they find you uh find me at duh harmony two h's in the middle on twitter and instagram you can find me every tuesday night on twitch.tv forward slash capital puns uh the first tuesday of every month we have a pun tournament all the rest we're playing games and having fun uh, and getting things going until we get back to live comedy uh, I'm the sticky wicket on that one because I have children that I want to make sure are safe first. Yeah. Uh, and then I also have a show on Fridays on the YouTube. Uh, just type in Marvel Strike Force uh, Excelsior Gaming and you'll find 99 Problems, but a Stitcher ain't one. It's a lot of fun. Uh, my partner and I, uh, Ian McDonald, also uh, we play uh, and talk about Marvel Strike Force. Uh, and it's it's all its intricacies and things like that very cool so yeah uh those are that's enough that's good yeah that's a so, lot it is it is a fair that's amount a uh i have other ambitions but uh currently this podcast is is really where you should find me yes. uh speaking of which please uh you can find the podcast collectively at at uh a, a geekhistorytime.com from mm-hmm. the website and uh at uh geek history time uh, on uh, on the Twitter t- on the Twitter yeah uh, also while you're at it you can find us on if you just found us by accident use your uh, your Apple uh, podcast finder you could use Stitcher you could use uh, Stitcher and Spotify um, and then please make sure you uh, subscribe uh, rate review give us the five star that you know we deserve uh, and uh, yeah please uh, tell your friends tell your friends to listen with you and then uh, come up with study questions for them. Indeed. Yeah, it's it's really the best best thing for a friendship. Honestly, it's called having a treatise off, and you need <laughs> you to go. do that. Yeah, so. occasionally. Cool. Well, for a geek history of time, I'm Damien Harmony, and I'm Ed Blaylock. And until next time, remember that he who controls a thing can destroy a thing. What? Wait, no, what? I got that wrong. I, what? He who can destroy a thing controls a thing. I, what? We'll get into it. We'll get I, into it. Oh, oh, oh! Just fucking. Hydraulic roll. empire. Roll just, a twenty. God damn it.